In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Brethren in Christ, welcome to The Meaning of Catholic. I'm Timothy Flanders. Today, I'm joined by David Elgray. David, how you doing, brother? Hey, how's it going, man? Glad to be on your show. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to talk about uh, the subject. So to introduce everybody, David Elgray is an American Catholic theologian and historian. He has published work inside Prince Hall on Freemasonry, predates his conversion to Catholicism. Since converting to the Catholicism in 2006, David has offered authored several books and hundreds of articles on the intersection between Catholic theology and the praxis of faith. His primary theological focus is his work exploring how the real meaning of the liturgy of the mass can be more effectively taught and explained. He has a bachelor's in business administration, Central State University, MA Catholic Theology, Ohio Dominican University. He's also the founder and president of St. Dominic's Media and resides in the greater St. Louis area. But his greatest accomplishment is his wife, Felicia, who's also a convert, and he's also a proud father of four daughters who are also Catholic converts. So, David, uh, really looking forward to talking with you about uh, Black Catholic history. Um, yeah. and, and before we get into this, so th this is a uh, part of a larger series of Meaning of Catholic, examining America and Americanism as it relates to the Catholic Church, as it has affected the Church through Vatican II, and uh, we've been looking at it through the lens of different cultures. We've covered Irish, German, and Spanish. And today we're talking about the African influence and the legacy and the history of black Catholics in particular. So we're going to break down kind of three periods that we talked about. Um, but first, David, I want to ask you what um, so this is something we covered with the Spanish show. Uh, what kinds of I mean, many of us are unfortunate enough to have the Marxist public education uh, version of black history. And we certainly have a black history month every year in the United States. What can you tell us in general about the accuracy and inaccuracy of the general narrative of black history? Okay. I, I think it's um sort of like you just pointed out. I think one of the major issues, I think we compartmentalize more than we integrate. Right. We always want to segment different histories through our different um, epochs, whatever. We want to talk about black Catholic history during what is it, February. And even we want to talk about black Catholic history in November. Right. Uh, we want to mix in, you know, Hispanic history, you know, even um, the people who have same sex attraction, even they have their own history month. Right. So we always want to compartmentalize. When I was when I was a kid and I really didn't realize this until I got older. But I think black history is during February with that you, you spend like 28 days, or whatever, whatever, talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Right. And that's the summation of black Catholic history. Um, nowadays, I think children nowadays, they want to throw in maybe Barack Obama, maybe paint some pictures of him. But that's the summation of black Catholic history. I think for a lot of Americans, I think it's some more uh, in some cities that um, have more black teachers, even black Catholic school teachers. I think sometimes those teachers sometimes um, are able to create lesson plans and more fully explain the history because they're, they're personally affected by it or personally um, um, interested in it. So sometimes I think those students get a better perspective, a more full perspective of, of um, um, Black American history. So 
I really, you know, as, as having, you know, taught in schools myself, I don't, I don't blame the history books. Um, I don't, I think cap, I think school education, um, elementary school education, high school education is probably as good as you can get. I think without trying to focus too much on one history or another, but I think the story is better told when people are interested in telling the story. And I think that goes with anything. Excellent. Great. Well, we talked about trying for the sake of um, brevity as well as uh, clarity. We're, we're breaking this down into three different periods. Right. And some of this is a little arbitrary, but uh, it does, it goes with the number 65. Uh, so 1565 to 1865, which is 300 years of uh, the rise and fall of new Spain the rise of the United States, 1865 is the end of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Jim Crow Reconstruction era, 1865 to 1965. And 1965 is a little arbitrary, but it's um, after the Civil Rights Act of 64, Malcolm X is assassinated in that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that switches over into more of a, I don't know what we're going to call that era, but Civil Rights era to present, I don't know. But um, 1565 I thought it's notable because it's the first Christian marriage in the United States, in the continent of the United States. It was then Catholic Florida, but it was between the Spanish Miguel Rodriguez and the African Luisa de Abrego. And it's kind of interesting. But during this time period, um, we also have the the rise of the abolition movement. We have the Haitian slave revolution. We have uh, Freemasonry as well um, and some black sisters. So what are some main points that happen? This is a this is going to be a generalized generalized history. So we're going to miss a lot of stuff, a lot of details here. But this is just an right. introduction. So um, take us through this time period. Uh, what do we need to know about this in terms of Black Catholic history? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that preface. Um, so I think one of the important things here, and I, and I like to emphasize this too, because I know we have some some um, Black Americans who may be listening who. Um, who are like me, you know, went to college. I went to historically black college. Um, the, the the version of history that we hear of when of black America, of that our history begins in this country in 1619, right? And that's when um, a slave ship arrived on the coast of Jamestown, Virginia, with 17 Africans um, who were whose whose destiny was to be sold as, as slaves. Some of them had Spanish names, by the way, but um, they were Africans and they were sold into slavery here in um, Jamestown, West Virginia in 1619. So it, it is something that you always hear as black Americans that that's the year when our history began. And that's mainly a, a Protestant version of, of our history. What's important to emphasize, like you said, 1565, that's when the Spanish ship arrives in, in what's called St. Um, Augustine, or if you're Protestant, St. Augustine, right, Florida. And and so that's when um, a number of Spaniards, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this, but the Spanish and the French influence, the United States, they've always had a lot of a lot of um, Africans or, or Black Spaniards or Black French people who were Catholic. And and so there in St. Augustine, you find a lot of um, the people who are there, they're, they're Blacks and they're also Catholic. At some point in time, the, the King of Spain, he, he says that um, Blacks who escape to St. August, Augustine, Florida, that they will 
um, they'll be granted freedom if they convert to the Catholic faith. If they convert to the Catholic faith, they'll 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 be free people. And at some point in time, I think it was um, it had to be around seventeen. I think around seventeen thirty eight. I believe that a settlement was at Fort Mose was established a community just for free black Catholics. They had their own community in Florida at Fort um, Mose, I think it was called. And so, and then also out of that same community, so they, they're given their own fort, they're given their own community, but also around, I think 1781, early 1780s, that a group of them, as well as Mexicans, um, and I think some Spaniards, they go out to Los Angeles um, and they start um, the city, they, 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 they found that city there. So that, that's why I like to talk about the integration rather than compartmentalization of our history. Because you see, just from that episode here in 1565, we see how that Black history and Catholic history becomes very integrated in American history from Florida, Northern Florida, to then we're going to go into New Orleans and St. Louis and Savannah, Georgia, all the way out to Los Angeles. This complete integration and influence of Black Catholics in American history begins in 1565. Yeah, that's that brings up what we really talked about a lot with the Spanish show was the mestizo race. And there's a lot more of the mixing of the races. People are getting married together. They're having children. And there's a I know that the it makes me think of I think the Seminole Indians, if I recall, in Florida, there was a uh, an Indian. Uh, there was a, just a group of community. And I don't know much about this, but I just remember Andrew Jackson fighting against the Seminoles and this community that was just kind of made up of a mixed race of Indians, Europeans, and Africans kind of all together in one community. Yeah. So that's interesting bringing up that uh, St. Augustine as an example of the Catholic influence. Um, I know that the, I, I also learned that the, the Spanish slave children, the children of slaves were not allowed to be enslaved um, in theory, at least not, all, not right. always in practice, of course, but, um, which contrasted obviously with the English version where there was just a generational slavery. Um, so you brought us up to 1780s, um, going over to Los Angeles. And at this time, all of this is Mexico or new Spain. So where now are, are there Catholics in, uh, the American revolution from African descent as well? I know they fought on both sides of that war. Yeah, so yeah, they fought both on sides sides that war, and that's that's interesting. Um, because the, the the Americans were less interested early on, right, in um, Africans fighting in the war, and so and that's one of the the things, the point of interest that um, that. Um, I think I lost point in time. We're talking about the American Revolution. We're not talking about the the uh, <laughs> the Spanish. Okay, so <laughs> so yeah, during the, during the American Revolution, so you had people, um, man, early early on, you had people. Um, the first, let's say the, the first people. I think people who watched Hamilton would know this well. That one of the first. Um, they say the Civil War started when um, uh, Christopher Addicts, um, he was a, 
a black man. He was a slave at some point in time, and then he escaped. And at that point in time, if you're in Baltimore and you're, you escape, one of the, the things that um, slaves did was that they found jobs on ships. And so Christmas Addicts, he's one of those individuals. He was a slave. He escaped. He found um, he found a job on a ship. And then when all this tension is going on in, in Baltimore, he comes back and he's intent on being some sort of um, hero that day, some of the reporters said. And so um, there was some tension going on in the city. And Christmas Addicts, he... Um, you know, they said well, some some of the reports say he he had he had a club in his hand and he's one of the instigators of the tension. He ends up being shot by one of the Kingsmen, and so that was really what a lot of people call really the, the one of the first shots fired in what became the American Revolution. So you say you had people like Christmas Haddocks and others along the way, free blacks who many who escaped from slavery play some of a, a role in the American Revolution. Okay. And when did the um, when did Africans begin to embrace the Catholic faith in among the English colonists? I know that there was some immigration from African Catholics, black Catholics coming into the English colony and, and later the United States. Um, do we get any much uh, uh, blacks embracing the Catholic faith in the English colonies or is it mainly immigration here? Yeah, you will see. Places like in, like I said, in, in Baltimore, you had a lot of, um, well, you know, Baltimore had a lot of Catholic influence altogether. And so a lot of their slaves um, were baptized into the faith. Catholic, the Catholic Church, sometimes they required, and this is, is loosely obeyed, but a lot of Catholic, a lot of bishops would really ask their the Catholic slaveholders to give their slaves some sort of religious education, right? So you had a lot of um, um, Catholics who in Baltimore and in the North who came into the Catholic Church that way, just because their slaveholders were were Catholic in Maryland in particular. Um, you see people like um, Bishop. John Carroll, um, you see the Jesuits. The Jesuits, they owned a, a, a large number of slaves because they had a number of plantations at the time. The religious order was still suppressed, but they were still a corporation. They were engaged in you know, farming. Um, this is, um, they had the university, um, Georgetown University that they were building. So at some point in time, the Jesuits themselves had maybe over 300 slaves. Baltimore had 3,000 Africans, uh, 15,000 um, Catholics and 3,000 um, African slaves. And so um, and so that's really in, in Baltimore where you see a lot of black Catholics there. You also see a lot of black Catholics come to Baltimore. Um, you know, it was 1793, a lot of Haitian Catholics, they, be, they come to Baltimore as refugees and they start a Catholic community there as well. So a lot of Catholics influence there. And then we see the integration again. And I think it was in 1837 where the Jesuits of Baltimore, they um, decided to get out of the slaveholding business. Um, it's not profitable for them anymore. So they take 300 of their slaves. They sell them to a couple of slaveholders in Louisiana. Um, it was thought that the, the Jesuits, I guess, you know, there was some scandal involved in this, but they tried their 
they would say they tried to keep the slaves together. That was one of the conditions of selling the slaves to these slaveholders in Louisiana was keep the slaves together. But what in, ended up happening, of course, was that the slaves, um, a lot of families were separated. But that's how you see a lot of Northern Cap black Catholics arrive in Louisiana um, to the, in the Spanish territory there. And um, they're slaves, but they're Catholics. So that's a little bit of background there. So, and tell us about the Haitian sisters who come out of that uh, 1793, they arrive in Baltimore from Haiti and they're Africans. And that you, you mentioned to me that the 1823 was when the black order of, or the first black Catholic order of nuns was established. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so it was the uh, Oblate sisters. It was, um, yeah, so you had you had a number of refugees from Haiti who landed in 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 Baltimore. So you had a Catholic community there, and so there were some sisters. Um, that it was, I think, I believe, a supplicant priest named um, um, I'm horrible at pronouncing French names, but Jacos. <laughs> was it Joubert? Um, I think it. I yeah, think yeah, Joubert. Nicholas Joubert. Yeah, so yeah. he's a supplicant priest, and so he takes interest in I think three or four of these women who are originally from Haiti. And so they begin to form a community. They're, 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 they're teaching school. They're teaching school-age children. And one of the important figures who come out of, of that, that foundation was um, um, Elizabeth um, Lange, who eventually became Mother Elizabeth. And so she's, I think she has a cause for canonization right now. And so these sisters, they formed the Oblate Sisters of the Providence. And this is really one of the, the first successful. Now, there were some others, like one in Kentucky, that was started before then, that it really didn't get off the ground. It didn't. It didn't stick. But this is the first successful one of a religious order of black sisters, who, and this is in eighteen, I think eighteen twenty nine. They, um, yeah, it's this the first religious order of, of black sisters. Now, one important thing to note, um, whether it's religious orders of sisters or is religious orders of priests, or lay black Catholic orders. One one thing the one thing that is important to know that thing is a, a bit tragic, is that um, black religious orders they're always given their mission is always just to the black community, to educate blacks or to um, provide care to blacks, and they're never given a broad mission. And they're never like the Dominicans or the Franciscans. They're just given this mission to all people. It's always just. To blacks, there's always some sort of Jim Crowism involved in this this narrow mission given to blacks. It's you know it's understandable at the time, right? But it's also you know a tragedy, I think, in the Catholic Church of this, this narrow uh, mission. And we see this also with Father Augustus Tolton, and we might touch on him later. But Father Augustus Tolton, when he's 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 given his his parish in in Quincy, Illinois. Um, you know, initially, you know, he, he's a he's gives he's given these great sermons. He's a great preacher. And so he so white congregants begin to come to flock to his parish because they want to hear him preach. He's you know, he, he you know, he, he seems to be a holy man. So there's some attraction to him, of course. And so at some point in time, the the, the, the priest um, who, you know, from the other parish, you know, he he goes to the bishop and, you know, he complains about. Father Augustus Toten taking his parishioners, and so the bishop gives Father Toten again that narrow mission, just to minister to Black Catholics. This church is only supposed to be to Black Catholics, 
Father Gus told some leaves and he goes to Chicago and he experienced the same thing there. He's given his church is just for black Catholics. And this at a time, I th you know, we can't, we can't think this is too odd, right? Because of course it's at the same time in American society, a lot of Jim Crowism, you know, black Americans aren't really given a lot of power over, they're not supposed to have power or authority over white Americans. Um, such as, you know, a police officer at the same time when Augustus Tolton, he's not allowed to minister to anyone but blacks and religious orders are just given black missions. Police officers in this country aren't allowed to arrest. Black police officers are not allowed to arrest or put handcuffs on white men. So this is was common in society, but for Catholics to adopt that same attitude is a bit tragic. So yes, the sisters are oblate, um, Oblate Sisters of Providence, um, yeah, first religious order of black sisters, given a very narrow mission to serve just black Americans. So it sounds like the, and something I've mentioned on this show before, is that the Pope condemned slavery way back into 1435, and there were various condemnations given to the slave trade, and obviously Spain still traded in slaves, and there was still slavery going on, and the Popes themselves had slaves too. It was kind of a waffling on the on the part of the papacy on the issue of slavery. Yeah. And then at the end, uh, right at the turn of the, right before the American first civil war, 1776, Pope Clement suppresses the Jesuits who elsewhere, not even here, but they were defenders of, of Indians and blacks. Mm -hmm. um, so my question, so, and we're, we're in here and here we are in the 19th century where the abolitionist movement is heating up. The tensions to the second civil war of 1860s is heating up. Um, but it sounds like what you're saying is the Catholic hierarchy, the bishops, really did not uh, take a strong stand with slavery. They kind of just sided with whatever locale they were at, whether they were southern or north. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, there's a lot of appealing to conventional wisdom. I mean, for a lot of priests and bishops. I mean, you I mean, you you had bishops like um, 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 at the uh, Second Plenary Council of Baltimore right after slavery ending. You had bishops like Spalding. Um, the Archbishop of Baltimore, I mean, he's definitely interested in this issue, right? And the Vatican is interested in this issue. What are you going to do with Black Americans? What are you going to do with Af um, Africans and their descendants now that slavery is over? What are you going to do? So you had bishops like Spalding and others who are definitely interested in this issue. Definitely before, while slavery is going on, I think we, the Catholic Church completely missed the ball and just the just appeal towards conventional wisdom that blacks and whites should be kept separate um, and that we shouldn't integrate the churches, the churches because it wasn't a sensible thing to do for, for either race. Um, but the Catholic church I mean, in America, I mean, they had an opportunity just to squash racism, squash slavery, squash everything um, from the right beginning if we just integrated the masses um, and had blacks and whites, slave and free, drink out of the same cup eat the same bread, but we didn't, you know, we missed the ball, but um, we dropped the ball. But in 17, 1876 at the plenary council in Baltimore, um, this was an issue that was on the table and, and the Vatican wanted this issue addressed. And so in, in um, Bishop Spalding, you know, he, he's, um, they really don't let him really get this off the ground, this issue off the ground during the council. It had to be a, a, a meeting after the council to really to really push this. And what ended up happening, a lot of bishops weren't happy about Rome sort of forcing this issue on them. They didn't want to deal with it. So what they do is they establish a committee, right? 
uh, <laughs> to look at this issue further. But a lot of bishops, um, like Spaulding, you know, took this issue in her hand. You know, he calls in um, the Josephites um, to start looking at this issue. The Josephites were a religious order over in um, in England mainly, and and so they eventually started the Josephites here in this country, and um, they will or eventually ordain the first black priests in this country. Um, there are other black priests, you know, like the Healy's and Augustine who would be ordained outside the United States, but the Josephites would eventually ordain the first one in this country. But, um, but yeah, so, but then around 1910, um, this issue came up again and Rome was still serious about fixing this issue because they were hearing from, from black Catholics in the United States about the miserable condition of black Catholics in America. And so they were distressed about this and so they wanted to fix this issue. And so one thing that came out of this, which was interesting, was that um, there was a, a priest by the name of Burke out of, out of New York. And he established um, an apostolate to really look at this issue. And he issued a, a committee a, a report, which really examined the struggle of how can we get more blacks into the Catholic church and how can we keep um, the black Catholics that we have and really help them build their faith. And so he really found that there was four issues that were really, really challenging. That was really struggle to blacks becoming Catholic and remaining Catholic in the United States. And the first one, which was, which was interesting um, was that um, too many black Americans are Freemasons. This is more of that, you know, let's not compartmentalize, but let's integrate. You know, when I used to be, you know, long before I became a Catholic, I was a Freemason, I wrote a number of history books about Freemasonry. It was always my contention that you cannot speak about Black American history in the United States without speaking of Freemasonry because it's so integrated, right? You can't tell the story of Black Protestantism in the United States without talking about Freemasonry and vice versa. But now, you know, that I became a Catholic and I started looking more deeply into Black Catholic history. You know, I feel the same way. I believe the same thing that you cannot speak about Black American history while speaking in Black Catholic Church in the Black Protestant Church and Freemasonry. And so, yeah, there, there was a point in time, man, since the late 1700s, where you have um, the Freemasonry has always played an integral role in the Black community. The Masonic Lodge and the Black Protestant Church is where the Black community they found their leaders, they they found support, they found um, help for those who, um, for the widows and orphans in the community. So Black Americans always appeal to the Masonic Lodge um, for support and for um, and for advancement. And so, yeah, um, Burke found, I think he rightly found that, yeah, a lot of Black Americans belong to these secret societies, primarily the Freemasons. And yes, that was a barrier towards becoming um, fully, you know, fully Catholic because, you know, the ban had been in place in 1738 that you can't be a Catholic and a Freemason. So that was one big issue that he found. He came up with the wrong solution, of course. He, he thought that, well, that is a church teaching that Catholic can be free, cannot be Freemasons. But he said, well, Black Freemasonry seems different than White Freemasonry. And that maybe we should let Black Catholics remain Catholic for a while, you know, until they, um, you know, can really come into the faith, you know. But he also found that it was a barrier for black Catholics, um, black Americans becoming Catholic. It was that he thought that um, 
one barrier was that there wasn't enough black priests and there wasn't, he thought that black Catholics needed their own community. They needed their own bishops. So in, in Burke's plan of this creating sort of a, a Jim Crow Catholic church, just a, a church just for blacks with their own priests and their own bishops really becomes the modus operandi, the, the, the master plan for the bishops to move forward on how to address the issue of black Catholics, just give them their own community, let them do their own thing. Um, let's give them some priests and some bishops and let them grow like that. Now that's not always the case um, of, you know, the Jim Crow Catholic Church just created just for blacks, let's segregate them. Um, Cause there are some black Catholic churches. I think one I ran into in Louisiana when I was down there speaking earlier this year, outside of Eraf, the Lafayette area. Um, that there was a black community there that was established early on, not with this idea of Jim Crowism, um, but just it was it was a more of a um, a proximity thing, right? Um, and this is what we see, you know, we see this with the Italians, the French, the Germans. They come over to integrate to this country, and we see the near proximity issue. They they group together in communities, they're building up communities, they're helping one another with their resources, and so then the Catholic Church forms, you know, what we call today as a personal parish that a church forms inside a community for those people. In some instances, we do see that with black Catholics, but mainly it's the issue of um, um, putting black Catholics off away from white Catholics so they can grow by themselves. That's, and that's, that's very interesting that the Masonic connection is something that I had never heard until I uh, heard your work. And um, just so the viewers know, David is, probably one of the biggest fighters of masonry out there on the internet. I would say he, he wrote the Catholic catechism of Freemasonry. And uh, if you check out his channel, which is linked below, he has a lot of great videos against Freemasonry. So uh, he has certainly converted from his masonry where well, there was some question in the chat, <laughs> he'd become Catholic. And so certainly not a Freemason anymore. He's a, he's an anti Freemason. So, um, and what you were saying about the, the continued, segregated Catholic uh, blacks and white um, that we kind of pointed out uh, that there was a lot more integration among the Catholic uh, New Spain and French. There was far more integration, mixed marriages and that, and that type of thing. Um, but in the English culture of America, there was really not that. Now, that makes me think of Frederick Douglass. I don't know if he had any connection with masonry, but I, I find him interesting because he shows up at the first feminist convention in uh, uh, Seton in the uh, Seneca Falls in 1848, yeah. which is a very fateful year in Europe. Um, but it's it's interesting how the abolitionist movement does meld with the feminist movement because it's both a liberation movement, basically. Um, and obviously, we we read in the history book that the abolition movement was, you know all good uh and the you know the slaveholders were all bad obviously but there's more to it than that but yeah. um what i'm wondering about is uh if you can comment on frederick Douglass and his influence um as well as want to get back talk a little bit more about slavery there's some questions in the chat about um slavery back in the bible and slavery as it was in the 19th century um, so yeah, tell us about Frederick Douglass. Does he influence black Catholics at all? Or is just kind of the black community? I know we're trying to, we're kind of touching on all Africans, all blacks, as well as yeah. the, the blacks that are in the Catholic church as well. 
Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, he's he, yeah he's he's uh, Frederick Douglass is a very prominent figure that you know he comes along. He's born. He's he's um the the time frame in between the eighteen the late eighteen hundreds um uh, is is when he was when he comes along. He's born in the early eighteen hundreds, but he's most prominent during this late eighteen hundred period. Um, he he's known as if if <laughs> if Black America had its own president, I mean, Frederick Douglass is definitely known as the president of Black America. I mean, he's a like you said, he's a you know an abolitionist. He's 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 a great speaker. He's known for his great stature. People who who saw him speak said he had just this great presence. He's not a Freemason, but he comes along at a time when Black Freemasonry was was very influential because after the the reconstruction movement you had a southern reconstruction and you're nearly um in this point in time in this you know during the southern reconstruction um you know the the south was punished in in a sense that, you know their all the sit all their senators um who you know u.s senators a lot of them were from places like louisiana and south carolina they ended up being black men and for the most part, they are all black Freemasons. You had um, you had people like Martin Delaney was another one out of South Carolina. He has some sort of influence in Ohio. Another um, a scientist, a, a doctor, a writer, or orator, um, and, and also a, a Freemason. So Frederick Douglass is sort of anomaly in this in this group of people of, of this group of black Americans after, after the civil war who are very on prominent on the, on the national stage, because he's not a Freemason, but like them, he's also a Republican, um, a radical Republican. And, and so you get very influential figure and, and still heralded, um, herald, heralded today as one of the, the most influential uh, persons in, in black American history. Awesome. So, so, I want to touch more on slavery because so some say that the ancient slavery, when St. Paul said slaves obey your masters, he was talking about us and a kind of slavery at that time, which was not racist. First of all, it wasn't based on a racial theory. It was based on people taken in war and different things like that. Just a lot different. It was a lot more humane. Slaves were much more free. They could go out and uh, into the city and do what they want exactly. But we also have Philemon who, escaped and then saint paul told him to go back and then he he reconciles with his master he becomes a bishop but um these are some of the verses that the pro-slavery party was the protestants they were quoting in the 19th century in america during this dispute they were saying hey it's slaves obey your masters but then some some argue that the slavery existing at that time was was i mean as it had been condemned by the pope for centuries was it was based on an injustice because it was invading someone else's land and taking them by force. And also based on a, an, an erroneous racial theory that Africans are subhuman and, and that type of thing as well. So um, can you comment on uh, the church's stance and understanding of the morality of slavery? Uh, is there, is it, is it uh, something that it is, is definitely meant to be intrinsically evil uh, even though before maybe it was allowed can you comment on that at all? Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure you know a lot about this um, as well. Um, so I, th I think Gregory's um, was it the 14th? Um, well, fucking 1435. That was Eugene the fourth, actually. But there's a few. There's I'm thinking about yeah, popes. 
Pope yeah. Gregory. I'm trying to get his 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 number right. Um, Pope Gregory the fifteenth. But um, his his condemnation of of um, let me make sure I get his his number right. <laughs> and on sixteenth was the Gregory in the nineteenth century. Oh, you, are you talking about the nineteenth oh, century? Sixteenth, yeah. Oh yeah, his sixteenth in the nineteenth. Thirty-nine. Yeah, his um. Yeah, his condemnation, I think, was probably, I think, arguably the clearest, because his op apostolic letter, um, it it explicitly condemned the slave trade in the institution of slavery itself. But as you say, we can we can look back and we can see all types of condemnations of, about slavery. But I think in 1839, I think Pope Gregory the 16th, I think his condemnation condemnation is the clearest of them, of them all. Pope. Uh, Pope Pius the Ninth. I, th I thought his um, his condemnation was was rather confusing um, prior to Gregory's. Is that he really appealed to um, Saint um, um, Saint Thomas Aquinas in in his apostolic letter? He was saying things like um, you know slavery may be beneficial in some senses and, and things like that. So. The church's condemnation of the Catholic of, of slavery, the institution itself, I think is most clear through Pope Gregory the Sixteenth. And but prior to that, I, you know, I'm not I'm not completely convinced that it really addressed the transatlantic slave trade as as um, as as explicitly and as strong as Gregory did. And for that reason, I think there was always so much wiggle room. But even Gregory's, his was ignored, right? Um, he, I mean, his came in 1839. <laughs> but in the United States, you had bishops still, you know, trying to nuance it and make excuses for it. So no matter how strong or weak the Catholic Church is, as you said earlier, you still had people who were just, you know, not interested in um, 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 obeying what the Catholic Church teaches. Yeah, and that's, that's a particular problem that happens among American bishops, anyways, among with a lot of different issues. So um, <laughs> that's, that's really the purpose of this series. So <laughs> now there's, uh, I think it was James Gibbons who just said that, uh, like the syllabus of errors of Pius the Ninth just didn't, it was only for Europeans, not for Americans, that type of thing. Um, but it was an interesting, there was a, in, um, there was an interesting historical fact that I read in, uh, O'Malley's account of Vatican one. So moving forward to 1870, one of the American bishops wanted to condemn the idea that Africans don't have souls. That was prominent apparently. Um, so he wanted to actually, he brought that to the floor in Vatican one, but that was just not an issue that the Europeans were dealing with as much that it wasn't really an influence to make that anything. Um, but so we have the, the, the Civil War, 1861-65, uh, which I've, I've discussed as basically a, a, an economic war between the northern elites and the southern elites. And uh, I know I've, I've to, to my knowledge, in terms of southerners who own slaves, that ranged from 10 to 20, 30 percent of the population. Uh, you know, to have a slave was very expensive. You had to be a little well off to be able to purchase slaves, to my knowledge. Um, but the but then the factory owners in the north obviously wanted to they were fighting over the western frontier and um slavery was the big issue so the abolitionist movement takes on that as a holy crusade um any do you want to comment at all on the civil the civil war of 1860s uh what did that impact did that have on 
um, besides obviously Emancipation Proclamation, which is obvious. <laughs> I, I mean, I know that Lincoln is criticized often by many Southerners who, who point out that he explicitly denied, uh, you know, that he wanted to free slaves everywhere or he even cared much about it. It was kind of a political or, or military strategy, mm -hmm. basically. But um, we also have the Republican Party that kind of comes into our our uh, yeah. time frame. So what do you what do you make of these things? Tell me your comments on it. Um, yeah, I, I would point out to in addition to what you said, was that a number of blacks also owned slaves, right? And one of the earliest slaveholders, uh, one of the person that really set in motion the history of legalized slavery in this country, you know, Anthony Johnson, I think he was a, a, a from Angola or Nigeria, but he was, he was an immigrant to this country. Um, um, African, a true African American, <laughs> mm -hmm. and and so um, you know he 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 you know he set the legalized slavery in motion because he owned he owned a, a slave, forget his name, but at that point in time um, it was still indentured servitude, and after in this man indentured servitude was over, um, he went to go work for another man, and Anthony Johnson didn't seem to like this very much, and so he took this man to court um, for possession of his indentured servant. And so the, the court granted Anthony Johnson his servant back and said that he had the right to keep him indefinitely. And so, and that was really right there in, in um, the um, um, 18, um, 1700s. 70, yeah, I, got, I got it. 1670 was his death. 1670, yeah, it was. In uh, Virginia. Yeah, set in motion legalized, legalized slavery. And so that was a black man. And so throughout oh. the rest of the history, you had, you had many black Catholics who owned slaves. So um, and also in, we should add into that, the structure of black society at that time was somewhat of a caste system, not as strong as that we see in India and, and so forth, but it was a, a sort of a caste system that you see in, in black America, even as late as maybe like the sixties and seventies country where you had, you had, you had blacks, you had blacks who were free and blacks who were not free. You had blacks who were born into slavery and those who not born into slavery. Blacks who were light versus blacks who were dark. Blacks who had a college education versus those who did not. Those who had a college education and belonged to the right fraternities and sororities and societies versus those who did not. So your blacks who always owned slaves in this country always belonged to the upper echelon of blacks in this country. And people like the Healy's, um, the 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 blacks who I think there were three brothers um, who became bishops. Two brothers that became bishops. Their father was an Irishman, and so and they they were they were mixed. But they became um, arguably the first black Catholic priests and bishops in in this country. But um, who not who really didn't have a relationship with black Catholics. They didn't really mingle with black Catholics. Um, one of the brothers actually passed himself off as white because he was light enough. And so people like that, the slaveholders and the Healy's, they always belong to the upper echelon of blacks in America. And, and so even coming out during the, during the civil war, um, those blacks were always better off um, than um, those who were coming out of slavery after the civil war. And, 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 and so, um, 
as the history moves along of, of the black of the black community move along towards um, the present day, there will be this this ongoing tension between um, these different classes and groups of black Americans. So that's where I think we're really one of the most interesting things that, that happens to slay out, out of slavery is that it, it more so affected the with you know the the bourgeois class of blacks it primarily dealt with those who were coming out of slavery who would now belong to the um to the sub tier of, of black americans um moving forward yeah that's that's very interesting um so let's i want to try to bring us into um the reconstruction era which we've touched on a little bit here so we're going to talk 1865 to 1965 and i was just reading some of uh Charles Cologne here before the show. And he was just talking about the reconstruction, which you touched on. There were so there was many enfranchised black Freemasons who were able to gain political power after yeah. 65, 1865. Yeah. And uh, Cologne is, is pointing out the carpetbaggers of the North. Yeah. And he was basically arguing that they were essentially some of the first uh, elites to start manipulating the black vote. And creating a, a system of power uh, with blacks, um, but then you have the resurgence of the Southern power with uh, Reconstruction, Jim Crow. So, and also during this period, you have the Harlem Harlem Renaissance later. So, um, bring us up to turn of the century. I know there's a Industrial Revolution happening. Um, you mentioned previously the Catholic Church is still trying to deal with the race issue and not really successfully. All right. All right. Um, so anything you can add in this era can bring yeah, us up post, to yeah, post 18, yeah, post-1865, it's, yeah, it's a lot going on, like you mentioned. Um, the Josephites are, are, I mean, they're going to come online. Um, with, I think they're originally called the Mill Hill Fathers. Um, but they, um, you know, the Josephites would, uh, they would um, ordain the first black Catholic priest in the United States. Like I mentioned, um, um, uh, the, the Healy's, um, one of the brothers, I think Francis, he becomes the, the president of Georgetown University at a time when Georgetown University still didn't accept blacks a, as students. But he's, he's a black man who's passing it as white. Um, Father Augustus Tolton, he, he's ordained in 1886. He's ordained in Rome. Um, you had people like um, um, Daniel Rudd, really good book here, that like Daniel Rudd, um, A Cry for Justice, is written by um, Gary B. Um, a G. Um, he's man. He's he's I mean, he's 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 really like the, the the Catholic version of like Frederick Douglass. I mean, he's a, he's a prominent writer. He's out of he's out of Ohio. He established the first National Black Catholic Congress that's still still around today. That goes by a different name. Very prominent figure. Um, what else happens? That um, Father Gus told Tolton, you know, he yeah. died. Do you, do you want to talk more about him? Just because he is a I don't know where he's at in canonization. Um, is he a servant of God? It looks like servant of God, Augustus Tolton. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Gus he's Tolton. uh, where is he at with um, canonization? Yeah, so he's no. a he's venerable now. Oh okay. So he's close, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and there there's a number of, you know, America. We we know America. I don't know if it matters or not, right? But we still don't have United States, uh, a black Catholic, you know, um, or a Catholic who is black, who has been, um, canonized yet. So 
but there there's a number of them. You have Venerable Pierre um, um, Toussaint. He he's he's born in Haiti, right? Um, but then there's Mother um, Mary Elizabeth. Also, you know, she's also um, immigrants. But you have Venerable um, Henri Henrietta um, Delau. Um, now she's born in Louisiana. Venerable Father Augusta Tota. Now he's he's born in the United States. So you have um, Sister Thea Bowman, probably the most recent person. I think she died in the early, I think she died in 1990. And so she's probably the most recent one who a lot of people were starting to look at. Perhaps, you know, um, she was a, a holy woman or starting to start her cause of canonization, but not yet is there a, a Black American Catholic saint, you know, whatever, you know, if that matters or not. But yeah. But, um, but Father Gus Toten, you know, he's he's one of those people, you know, during Black Catholic History Month. It's kind of like um, Black History Month in February. Come November, you know, in, in November, we want to hear about Martin Luther King. And so come November, everybody wants to talk about Father Augustus Toten. And so he's he's really just the, the standard Black American, you know, that everybody should know about and likes to talk about. But rightly so. Um, he, you know, he suffered... You know, very early on, you know, his parents were, were slaves. You know, he's born into a situation, but he's free um, now. And his parents, they, they moved to Illinois. They put him in school. There's some struggle there. White parents don't want him in their in their schools. And so, but a, a priest, a priest, he, he, he was really favored by God. You could tell God really poured his grace upon Father Augustus Tolton because he's one of those people that priests always took a liking to and always wanted to advance in some sort of way and help out. So he was shown a lot of favor by priests throughout his life. And eventually um, enough priests took interest in him in his vocation, become a priest. And they were trying to get him to into an American seminary, but to no avail. The Josephites weren't here yet. And, and so he eventually goes to Rome and he's ordained there. He does a world tour, you know, as the first black American priest, even though the Healy's, like I said, Healy's, you know, but they don't identify as black Americans. Right. Um, and so Tolson comes back, you know, he's given his, you know, his parish in Quincy. And I talked a little bit about that, his struggles there and then why he leaves and goes to Quincy and experiences the same thing there. And, and so he dies at very early age. He does intersect with Daniel Rudd. You know, he's at the, the early, um, national black Catholic conferences. And so everyone knows him and respects him. And it is good that his, his cause of canonization has, 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 um, has moved forward. He's, he's um, um, definitely, you, you see his life, you see the heroic virtue, you see, you see the holiness. And um, so that'd be awesome if he does, he did, he is eventually canonized on one day. Yeah. God willing. So yeah. the, so this con reconstruction era, um, we get into the Harlem Renaissance. We've got the world wars. There's the famous Tuskegee airmen yeah. who fight in world war two. And into the 50s, uh, Montgomery bus boycott begins in 55, I believe. Um, so how, how does the black, do, now, do, the, do the Catholic Church ever figure out the race issue coming into the 50s? Or is it still pretty segregated? Yeah, I mean, because you still have the, the Jim Crow Catholic churches, right? Um, and an attitude towards them is sort of disinterested because they're looked upon as the black Catholics have their own community 
and there's really no full integration of they, they're never really asked really just to come and integrate themselves the whole diocese right um several dioceses just have their black catholic community and they just let them do their own thing and and again, you know, the black religious orders still have their narrow mission just for black Catholics, even Xavier University, a historically black Catholic university, their mission is to serve just, just black Catholics. So even going into the whole, the civil rights period is, is still this, um, the, the, the traditional predominantly black Catholic parish is still, doesn't seem really fully part of the Catholic diocese throughout the United States. I, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to mention something that I remembered before we even get to the civil rights era. That's uh, Leo the Thirteenth in, um, what is this? Oceana, uh, Longiqua Oceana, 1895, where he talks to the American bishops and he says, "You, you have this great country. It's doing well. You're thriving, and uh, but we don't like separation of church and state." But then he has this note at the end of this. The encyclical that I think is interesting. He says, finally, we cannot pass over in silence those whose long-continued unhappy lot implores and demands succor from the men of apostolic zeal. We refer to the Indians and Negroes who are to be found within the confines of America, the greater portion, greatest portion of whom have not yet dispelled the darkness of superstition. And then he exhorts them to evangelize and to convert them. Um, so it sounds like what you're saying is just like so many other things from Rome, this type of exhortation fell on deaf ears among the American hierarchy. Yeah. And I mean, like, and like you said, I think you pointed out earlier, I mean, you did have some American bishops. I mean, you had like, um, I mean, like, so you had Spalding, you had um, uh, um, Barks Bishop of Cincinnati, um, Purcell, um, you, you had out of, um, I think named Josh um, Young, um, I think he's in Pennsylvania. And so you had bishops like that. You know, you had a couple of bishops who were condemning slavery in the United States, but the vast lot of them, even one bishop, I think, out of Savannah, Georgia, uh, I can't even recall his name. Um, he was, you know, quite a character. When um, when Booker T. Washington went to the White House, I think it was Roosevelt, called him to the White House to have dinner. I mean, he just really exploded um, over, over the whole thing. You know, what a scandal. So, you, you know, you had... You had flat out racist, right? But you also had bishops who, you know, qualify as abolitionists and just wanted, um, so you had, you had a mixed lot, but the most of them, yeah, didn't, Rome was doing, Rome was far more progressive on this issue than a lot of bishops in the United States, like they're saying. Right, okay, so so we get into the 1950s and the, I, I like I said, I think it's 1955, Montgomery Buscoy cut, Martin Luther King starts to begin to gain uh, notoriety with this movement he starts in Alabama. Yeah. And meanwhile, you're saying that the Catholic Church really is, is still pretty segregated. Um, and then when we get into the 1960s, we've got John F. Kennedy from the Democratic Party. Huh. Now, is is not is the 1960 election with JFK, is that when the black vote swings Democrat with him? Is that what because before I know before this I think all all blacks were really Republicans, right? Uh, up until this point, or or how does that? Yeah, frame? when was yeah? What what president was the New Deal? Um, it was had to oh, be around, yeah. Franklin. So around yeah, around that time um, is really the first time you saw a lot of black Americans really vote Democrat, but they didn't. They weren't registered as Democrat 
Um, but from that point in time, from FDR up until Kennedy, you see this swing of blacks voting more and more and registering more and more as 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 Democrats. Okay, so so at this point, 1960, this is the tumultuous decade yeah. of the 1960s. We have so many different things happening. Yeah, this uh, definitely with LBJ. Um, oh right, work oh, he right. Yeah, he he was the one who said famously, "We'll get all the Negroes to vote for us." Right? Wasn't? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think when he said when he signed the Civil Rights Act, I believe he said, "We'll, we'll get them voting years. for us for years" or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Some and, and he he was famous for having a foul mouth and not a very good character right. privately, but um, but he, but he was but he was correct, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, and this is um, so this sort of welfare system and the federal government, and it's, and it's kind of a difficult period because, um, I mean, from what I can tell, studying Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, uh, especially with the civil rights movement, the the SCLC and the um, you know the nonviolent, there was really they were kind of using proxy violence by creating a crisis in a situation with the local authorities, and then the federal government was forced in with the National Guard to enforce something. Uh, but it, it it was sort of the, the federal government got to be the good guy in that case, because you have these nonviolent protesters who are getting beaten yeah. up by the the sheriff, you know, yeah. and then you send in the National Guard to rescue them. Uh, yeah. I mean, what are you supposed to do at this point? So there's a there's a big uh, growth of the federal government with 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 these things. But like you're saying, it's it's switching over to Democratic Party. So there's so many things happening. And. I want you to, I've been commenting too much on here. So uh, take us into the 60s. Here we have the 60s. What changes here? Catholic, Catholic Church is obviously going through a revolution too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah that, 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 that's interesting. There's a lot of revolution taking place, right? Um, and so yeah, you have prominent figures, you know, like Martin Luther King Jr., um, his nonviolent movement, you had people like Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam appealing to a uh, socioeconomic class of black Americans. Um, and so really two different camps appealing to two different type of black Americans, but all converging on the notion that something has to change. You had a lot of riots taking place throughout the United States um, as well. And so, of course, this is all going to converge um, and, and throw in like the sexual revolution too. I mean, it's all types of revolutions, right? <laughs> and so, and, and, and so all, all this is really going to converge into one thing that's going to be very interesting, both for, for the Catholic church and for the black American community in the United States is the push towards um, integration, which is going to be very, very interesting. Um, Cause that, this particular time, for the last 100 years uh, prior to this, the black community in America was isolated. Um, you know, it was reflective of the black Catholic Church. You know, sort of for a lot of instances, you know, kind of put off to itself, allowed itself to govern. Of course, there are times when you know that didn't suffice, or sometimes that was a threat to some people. And you had places like Tulsa, you know, was just destroyed. Um, and, and, and Detroit is also Philadelphia. You have black neighborhoods, you know, just just wiped off the map. But for the most part, they're, they're left alone and allowed to govern themselves. And so you had a strong black community with shop owners and the educated class um, really taking care of the black community. 
providing a lot of leadership and strength. But then integration comes in at a very interesting time. Um, you know, this is on the heels of, you know, the Vietnam War. Um, um, it was a community in, in flux, a lot of issues with people coming back with drug issues and things like that. And so integration comes and all of a sudden your, your bourgeois class of black Americans and your upper middle class of black Americans, they find out they can leave this community around people like them and they can move into neighborhoods with, um, you know, subjectively better schools and, and things like this and safer and cleaner neighborhoods, perhaps, you know, so your, 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 um, your influential class of black Americans, your shop owners and things like that, they, they up and leave the black community. And what this creates is a, a vacuum. And, um, and, and so in that vacuum <laughs> comes, you know, we're, we're, we're calling, coming to the heels of, or the opening onslaught of, um, drug wars, drugs coming into these cities, communities, the, the deconstruction of the inner city schools is really a lot of things happened during this time that we thought was going to be better for black Americans ended up really destroying a lot of those communities where, where that's were at one point very strong. And so in these communities, you also saw a lot of Catholic schools, right. Um, that began to have a mission that, um, was sort of looking like it was um, 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 sort of, you know, they're bringing a lot of black students into these schools because that's where, you know, these schools are still at. Um, um, and, and so in, in, in the, then they also saw the black Catholic church, the black Catholic church, the probably black Catholic church, which at one point in time, in places like Baltimore, Chicago, and St. Louis, and places like Savannah and New Orleans—well, not so much New Orleans, but these other these other um, metropolitan cities—the Black Catholics they also were affected by this integration. So the Black Catholic Church started becomes transient. The Black Catholic Church, this physical church, is still in that community, which now doesn't have many parishioners that belong to that community where the physical churches is. So the church becomes transient. The black Catholics, a lot of whom were, you know, just better off upper middle class or bourgeois, you know, now they come from outside of the community into the black Catholic church, you know, and then leave. Not a whole lot of evangelization for the community around. I'm making some generalizations here, but the, what I'm saying is generally true. Um, and so it's, it's a, like I said, it's a very interesting time in that we thought the way that the civil rights movement was supposed to, things that they were supposed to do for the black Americans and make it better. Now we're looking back over the last 50 years and we're seeing that things have sort of become worse in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, that's really interesting. I was just reading one article that was saying it was making the assertion based on statistics that the black family began to really break down in the sixties during this time. Is that, um, would you concur with that? Yeah, um, I definitely would concur. I mean, you see, he always has struggles, even like, even like Burke, we go back to Burke in his report that he, you know, he gave to the bishops back, um, early 1900s, you know, but talking about the issues with black Americans, I talked about a couple of them about the Freemasonry and, you know, blacks don't have blacks to teach them the faith. Another one is issue is he, he said, man, it's just a whole lot of promiscuity amongst these black Americans. We don't know who's kid. They have kids with 
all different types of women and so on and so forth. But that really stabilized. It had a really um, stabilized during a period from like 1910 up until, you know, the um, to the 60s, uh, mid 50s. That really has stabilized. You had a lot of families, um, parents and children raising their homes, not a lot, a whole lot of single parents and, and things like that, as we see today with like 70, 73, 77 percent. Of, of parents being raised by children being raised by a single parent, but there was a period of time that has stabilized. But what comes the sexual revolution and all these things? Um, that again, that starts to deteriorate integration. This this vacuum of of um, that happens there, and the government coming in and telling black women that you know you're better off if you don't get married because we'll give you more money, we'll give you more food stamps, we'll give you more benefits if you don't get married. And so there, it became advantageous for um, this class, a black woman that's in these communities to, um, you know, have children and, and, and not get married. Yeah, that's interesting. So would you say that the integration that happened in the 60s, because we talked favorably, obviously, about Catholic integration in, in the Catholic uh, New Spain and France and whatnot, yeah. but there really was never a truly Catholic integration, would you say that the problem was that the integration was not based on Catholicism? It was sort of based on a, a welfare state, uh, some more Protestant uh, elements that were not as Catholic. What, what would you say went wrong with that? Yeah, I think the Catholic idea was there, right? I don't think a lot of what Martin Luther King was saying that, you know, we should be treated, all people should be treated equal. They should be judged upon, you know, the content of their character and things like this. So I think, I think the idea was there. Um, but the timing, um, sort of like the timing of Vatican II, right? The, the timing maybe just didn't happen. The whole integration thing maybe didn't happen at the right time. It ended up being a very bad um, period for integration to happen. I mean, who, who, would, who would have thought that people would just jettison people who had the wealth, who had the influence, who provided leadership and stability to the black community, who, who would have thought they would just up and leave and go to the suburbs. So. Interesting. Now, yeah. let me ask you about the liturgy, because it's something you've written about a lot. This is one of your uh, passions as a writer, because 1970, the English liturgy comes into play. Um, at some point, I know that gospel music begins to be played as well. Yeah. Um, introduction of uh, more black influence music as opposed to before with the Latin mass. Um, now the, I know that the Latin mass enjoyed some success in Africa itself. And obviously we're talking about Catholics worshiping in the Latin mass. Um, can you tell us your perspective on the influence of the liturgy, whether Latin or uh, English liturgy with various musical styles on the black Catholic church and, and bring us uh, up to the, present here. Yeah, it's, you know, you can't speak about black Catholicism or Catholicism amongst blacks without speaking about the traditional Latin mass. <laughs> I mean, because every, you know, from, from Toten to um, Pierre Toussaint to the Josephites to Sister Mother Elizabeth, I mean, they, these were all people who, um, celebrated, you know, their Novus Ordo. I mean, the ordinary mass amongst them, which, you know, we call today, you know, the traditional Latin rite, right? These were Latin 
um, loving Catholics who, who spoke the Latin and love that that liturgy. And they didn't they didn't try to manipulate it. They didn't try to add to it. They just loved the liturgy of the church, how it was. And that's the liturgy that black Americans had always known, that the black Catholic church in America always grew up with. Um, so we, we really can't speak about, you know, black Catholicism without, you know, without speaking about the love of that the black Catholics have for the traditional Latin rite and the explosive growth that the black community had. Um, and there wasn't any worry about black Americans who couldn't read or couldn't write some of them about them coming into the Catholic church and some sort of learning curve, having to learn the Latin. Nobody was worried about that. Um, and, and so that's, that was the liturgy of the church. Now, when, you know, when the, you know, the, um, um, the um, opportunities are taken after uh, after Vatican II, you know, with the post-conciliar documents and so on and so forth. And there's this opportunity for a mass and a vernacular. Um, it's interesting that, um, and I think we, you and I talked a little bit about this when you came over. Um, it, it was on my, my, my podcast. And, you know, I, I talked to um, a number of Catholics about this, this subject, about the how a number of black Catholic churches <clears throat> have taken, taken liberties with the Norvis Odo right to Afrocentrize it, to make it more Afrocentric, to integrate into the liturgy what appears to be culturally black, right? And so you see this with a lot of black Catholic churches, you know, not all of them, you know, but um, more than enough of them. And, and it goes beyond just the music sometimes, all right, the gospel. And not everyone, not every issue, I, I, never, not every time this is done, I, I don't think it's malicious. We can read, we can read articles from the 70s. I think there's enough of them online where we can, we can actually read people say the reason why we're adding more gospel music to the mass is to appeal to Protestants and hopefully. Hopefully they'll come into the church. There's some of that, but I don't think, you know, I can't say all of it is always malicious. We can't overgeneralize, overgeneralize like that and say, you know, but clearly there is an idea of, with some black Catholics that if we make the mass more Protestant, that maybe we can appeal to black, Prote black Protestants to come into the Catholic church. So, and, and I get it, you know, I, I get the idea about, I, I, I think it's hard for a lot of people to understand. And one thing I, I, I try to convey during this talk with you and I, one thing I try to convey that is the opposite of the story that you hear about blacks in America. I think the story is often told from a perspective that we're victims. Everything that, that happens to us is bad and that we're, you know, we're the, um, that we're just constantly victims and that we haven't, there's nothing good that happens to us outside of white people. I think the real story is that there's a story of, of, of people who are descendants from Africans in this country that um, have had a unique story in this country. And it's a story that has been different than the immigrants to this country. It's a story of success and a story of, of tragedy. It's a story of success because it's a story that um, we've, as, as a community, uh, we've overcome 
a lot of hurdles, right? It's a story of tragedy is because we haven't overcome the hurdles like everyone else has. You look at all the other ethnic, ethnic groups that have come to this country, whether it's the Bosnians, whether it's the, the, the Italians, whether it's the, the Chinese, whether it's the Mexicans, all of whom have experienced racism um, and oppression, but have always come together as a community to build their own ladder of success. Black Americans are only people in this country that are expected to climb the white ladder of success. We were never expected to build our own ladders. And, um, and so that, that's, that's the tragedy that we didn't mimic the, the Chinese and go to university and, and succeed, that we didn't um, imitate the, the Arabs who come to this country and, and build businesses and, and give back to the community. We didn't imitate any of those people, yet we were here first. Um, that, that hasn't been our story, so that's the tragedy. But this returns back to the liturgy itself, is that I get it. I get why Black Americans, because of our story here in this country, why we always want to try to figure out what does it mean to be a Black American? And we want to reach back to Africa. And we say, well, maybe that's it, because we don't have a story in this country. You know, our story was lost. At, at the point in time, the slaves were dropped off the boat and given a new name, a new language, and whatever. We, you know, we we lost that, right? They were broken down like animals and, and created into something different. And so we don't we don't have that to reach back to. There's nothing really we can say as as a people. We don't have a cultural dance. You go over to a lot of countries in Africa. You look at a lot of tribes there. They have cultural dances. They have a dance for love, a dance for war, a dance for whatever. But Black Americans, we, we don't have anything that's truly our own. So we always want to reach somewhere else and try to say, well, maybe that's it. And one thing that we've done with the liturgy, we've reached into the Black Protestant church and, and took from their, took from their, some of their songs and some of the things they do, some of their praise dances and some of their cadences that they do, speaking back to the preacher as, a, as some sort of call and response that doesn't really elevate to the divine. Not like the call and response that we hear in liturgy today that is truly of the church. Is language given to the people to speak to God. But in Protestant church, they don't do that. They speak back to the preacher and they yell and chant, you know, oftentimes, you know, um, sporadically. And so, but, and we bring that stuff into the, into the Catholic church. And so I understand the yearning of the, of the black American who, who just wants to try to figure this thing out. What does it mean to be black American? Who is that? What is that? How do we act? What do we do? But that's not really the place of the liturgy, right? The liturgy, it calls us, the, the purpose of the liturgy is to divinize us, right? It's just to make us holy. And so we can't bring things from in the world into the liturgy, because if we keep bringing the world into the liturgy, there's nothing left of the liturgy to take back into the world. So I get it. I get the struggle. But, you know, I've, 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 I've always said that, um, you know, if you want to make a black Catholic liturgy, go ahead and make it. But what you what you shouldn't do is is take the Norvis order right and try to hook it up with some hot sauce and try to make it your own. Beautiful, thank you. Um, we <clears throat> we're trying to get up to the the present. Uh, that's uh, I'd love to talk more about liturgy, but we just don't have time. I mean, <laughs> another time to talk more in depth about liturgy for an hour. But um, so after. Um, for what I can tell, after the 
the the vacuum that you're saying there was a vacuum of leadership in the black community uh you have malcolm x and martin luther king both assassinated you have the rise of black panther uh it, it seems to me that there was a lot more of the marxist blacks sort of taking in taking some of the leadership over um, and also the welfare state. Um, but then there's this, this kind of switch all to Democrat policies based on what you're saying. Um, and fast forward today, we've got BLM, uh, 2013 is founded. Now we have Kamala Harris as the vice president pick, um, comment. Can you tell us about the state of things today? Um, am I right in, in, in characterizing the, the past 50 years? Uh, is that kind of what happened? Um, tell us what the state of things are today. Yeah, it's funny that you said Black Panther. First thing I thought was like the movie. I was like, wait, wait, what's, what's going on? Like Wakanda forever? I didn't understand. But so you, <laughs> the, the Black Panther Party. <laughs> so um, yeah, that that's 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 that's, that's really a, a good a good summary. Um, and so where we left off was the seventies. There's this vacuum. It's filled with yeah Martin Luther King you know his his legacy clearly socialist um, you know he's he he <laughs> um, but you know enters this, this vacuum all these social programs that are intending to help Black Americans but end up making everything worse in the predominantly Black communities um, move forward to the eighties. And then we had the issues with unemployment for a period of time um, during Reagan, which harms a lot of you know, blacks always in this country for whatever reason. You know, you listen to statistics, we've always been the most underemployed or most unemployed. So everything tends to hurt black Americans more than anyone else for whatever reasons. And so every time something like unemployment or recession happens, it always harms predominantly black communities a little worse than it does. Um, other 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 communities, so and so during, there's a period. Then there's there's a, a period of time, right after we we're, we're moving through the '90s and we're moving up to the um, the 2000s. You start to see. You look at the outcome of some of these elections. You you start to see more blacks again voting for for Republicans, right? Because I think. On a lot of issues, I think Black Americans they can they can identify with conservative values. You know, whereas for as far as as, as marriage, um, um, we're Black Americans. Most of Black Americans at on on human life, abortion, and things like that. I think most Black Americans, especially Black Protestants, they can identify with conservative values. And I think for that, you you see Bush get more votes than George George Judge. Um, George W. Bush get more votes than you know past um, nominee president and the Republican presidents have gotten in in the past. And then Obama is elected, uh, nominated, which of course um, sends the trajectory back to a lot of Black Americans being very excited about someone who's considered the first Black president. Um, which you know Obama is sort of kind of like you know the Healy brothers, right? He's you know. Um, you know, there's, in the, uh, you know, here Kamala Harris is sort of suffering from that th same thing now. You know, she's, well, she's, she's identifies as black, but her parents are immigrants, right? So, and Obama suffers that from that same thing. But 
you know, he's traditionally thought most be most most black Americans to be the first at least half black president. And a lot of them, a lot of black Americans vote for him, especially um, black women um, who vote nearly 98 percent for the Democratic Party. And they have been for the last 50 years. Black women have um, black men vote at a lower percentage, but still the vast majority. But. Um, and so and, and you see, you, you look at things such as democratic policies, whether it's education, whether it's um, marriage, whether it's um, whether they're at an abortion, whether at on um, mass incarceration, whether at on a lot of issues, everywhere you see the Democrats, whatever they're advocating strong for, you see those are the areas where that, that harms the black community the most. I mean, abortion itself. I mean, it's, it's um, nearly one in one out of three children, um, black children, are killed by um, abortion. We say it's killed 20 million blacks since 1973, but we also had to have to add into that number the children who those children would have had. So we're in the third generation of abortion now. If we say that out of those 20 million, let's say they just had those children and their children had at least one or two children. They perhaps were missing 60 million black Americans. So whereas black Americans account for 30 million um, people in the United States now, we're talking about could have been 90 million. So abortion has harmed the black community in, in more ways than I think most people can imagine. You're missing maybe 60 million people um, who um, could have contributed to um, this society, whereas you you could you wouldn't would have been you know your thirteen we're thirteen percent of the population now we could have been triple that and so in having more people in the rooms of power and access, I think can only can only help you. So abortion has been a great tragedy. Um, what Democrats have done to the inner city schools, I mean, I mean you know we're talking about play, there's places like California, Detroit, where man. 70% of, you know, black boys can't read, a small number graduate, and all these are Democrat control. So, you know, I could go on and on about this, but um, yeah, over the last 50 years, we really have to really just look back and and see, did this help? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, because apparently the the BLM certainly is accusing uh, systemic racism. Um, tell us about what is your perspective on BLM? What's your perspective on Kamala Harris? Yeah, you know, Black Lives Matter. You know, I started talking about them. I think when they first they first came out, I never been a fan of their of their movements. I think initially I wasn't a fan because it didn't seem like it seemed like just some Black Lives mattered. Not all Black Lives. Um, I really didn't know what they were talking about um, because they weren't they weren't addressing the, the big issues um, of, of Black Lives in the country. They seemed to just be concerned about when white black people were killed by white people, right? I was concerned about people like George Soros funding them, and so I really haven't moved. On that, in fact, I think I've, I've become more um, opposed to their mission. It is clearly, um, you know, communist. You look, you look at some of their their positions on, on their website where they're at on just want to tear down what they call Western society and Western values, the nuclear family, and all this. I mean, it, it is is very troubling, and I'm more troubled. I did a video on this recently 
but just this idea of, of Catholics, especially black Catholics, advocating, you know, chanting, marching with Black Lives Matter signs. And everyone always wants to distinguish between the Black Lives Matter organization versus, you know, the mantra or the hashtag. When it's the case that the same three women who started the hashtag also started the organization. And um, and so I, I don't I can't I can't speak of one without speaking of the other. And it's, it's just really disappointing that you, you have Catholics who want to chant Black Lives Matter. And it just doesn't seem like Catholicism is really enough for us. You know, the Catholic Church, we have a 2000 year old language to address human dignity and why human life is sacred from the womb to the tomb. But we want to cling to some sort of earthy mantra that really falls short of what what, what, what Jesus intends. We want to ch chant Black Lives Matter and rather point to the crucifix. I mean, we want to talk about why lives matter. I mean, well, all we have to do is point to Christ on the cross, right, to to explain that. So it's, it's, and it's so troubling on, on so many levels. I mean, Black Lives Matter, we want to call BLM. I mean, that you know, burn, loot, murder, or black lesbian movement, whatever it is, it, it, it's just not good for any people, let alone black Americans and Kamala Harris. I mean, you, you're talking about a ticket here with Joseph Biden and, and Kamala Harris. I mean, this is the most anti-Catholic ticket that there has ever been in the history of the United States. You have a person at the, at the top of the ticket who promises to persecute the Catholic church by going back after the little sisters of the poor and enforcing religious institutions to submit to the contraception mandate. You have a, you have a person at the top of the ticket who, 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 who priests and bishops will rightly deny Holy Communion because of where he is at on, 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 on abortion and on, on unnatural marriage. And something I think one priest has in South Carolina, I think just last year, has denied him Holy Communion on, on those on those grounds, essentially excommunicated. So he's at the top of the ticket, a person who professes to be Catholic, but is anti-Catholic in, in his actions, in, 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 in his personal beliefs. And if he's elected, it's going to be a complete scandal. And it's going to it's going to be it's going to be, I think, a reckoning in the Catholic Church that the bishops don't make make it clear that he does not represent on what it means to be a faithful Catholic in this country, it is running mate. I mean, I mean, another anti-Catholic, this most anti-Catholic ticket, I mean, this woman went after um, the candidate, Brian Boucher, I think his name is, went after him for his Knights of Columbus membership, asking, you know, um, do you support um, the, the, the their position on, on marriage and, and abortion and things like that? Went after him for that, went after the guy from... Um, the organization who was exposing Planned Parenthood for their yeah, um, selling, yeah, selling harvesting baby parts went went after him when she was running for, running for Senate in 2016. Had his home raided. She used her position as Attorney General have his home raided. This woman, when 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 Kavanaugh was running for running for, um, when he's nominated for Supreme Court, um, she she said she said on video that God approves abortion. God approves of abortion. And so this, this, this ticket is, I mean, you, I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just incredible that it, this is the most anti-Catholic ticket that I think has ever come in for a country that's been anti-Catholic in some places at some times. I mean, this is, this, this is just in, in, incredible. 
Yeah, so it sounds like you would agree with uh, Exorcist Father Chad Ripperger recently stated that politics has devolved into basically good versus evil at this point. It's not. Yeah, yeah, it's no yeah. longer. Uh, I mean, there there used to be Catholic Democrats who were pro life, you know, but the Democratic Party has just been almost completely taken over by these Marxist abortionists and. It's, I mean, so you would agree that it's gotten to the point where it's basically good versus evil at this point. The Democrats are definitely evil and, and demonic. And yeah, people of goodwill <laughs> definitely need to stand against them. So yeah, that, yeah, good versus evil. Yeah, I think that's a good description. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, I'm sorry we can't, couldn't take any questions. We we wanted to take questions, but we had so much to cover. So if you want to comment below, I'm sure David would be happy to talk with you. You can go over and subscribe to his channel as well, which is linked below. Uh, David, uh, any final thoughts to wrap up this 500-year uh, journey we've taken? <laughs> Man, thanks for having me on the show, to be Flanders. I mean, we, we talked about a whole lot just on a, on a cursory level. Um, but again, I, I just want to really just... And thank you for the opportunity for for having me. You want to really just tell a story from from the perspective of um, of God's providence. That the story of Black Americans are, are, is not a story of, of victims. It's not a, a story of, of people who had you know a foot on their back. Of people who are always begging for crumbs. It, it's not it's, it's not that story. I think a story of, of Blacks in America and of Black Catholics in America is a story of God's providence of taking what man meant for evil and turning it around for His good, and I think we see that in in every corner of of this of all societies, but in particular, you can see it in in Black America, and it's also I think a story of encouragement that. Um, I think there's a number of Black Americans who are starting to wake up and realizing that the last 50 years has been a failed experiment and that um, it's time to wake up and do better and not worry about doing what Oprah Winfrey says and try to climb the white ladder of success, but build a ladder. Just build a ladder and climb it. Awesome. Thank you, David. So this has been a great conversation. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise with us. Uh, I'd love to talk more about liturgy, Freemasonry, very pressing topics as well. Um, but take a look at David's work. Uh, you've got three links below. You can follow him. Take a look. He's got a number of different books as well. And as I said, I mentioned once again that he is probably the most prominent anti-Freemason fighter out there on the internet so uh that's a badge of honor so so we're gonna pray in our father to close this out so let's offer up this our father for uh coming election the political sphere in the united states and the uh all of the ethnicities and races that are making up the catholic church and especially the gospel may be preached and souls may be converted in this country that this country may come to jesus christ so let me get my I can't hear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm.